tonight. Lamentations chapter 3. And I don't know, I was out of my game uh, Sunday. I didn't announce uh, the service at First Baptist, and I didn't announce that uh, Brother John Richards is going to be a guest preacher uh, Sunday morning. A friend of mine from Columbus is going to be preaching a Sunday. So uh, um, I don't know. I just I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't make any announcements. But uh, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, distracted. That's right. Um, are there uh, prayer requests, prayer concerns? Uh, all right. So Lamentations chapter three. Lamentations chapter 3, we'll start reading verse 1, we'll read half of this chapter through verse 33, and we will consider the topic when it seems like God is the enemy, when it seems like God is the enemy. Lamentations 3, verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity, and I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall, My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. 
And so as we've studied through uh, Lamentations up to this point, what has Jeremiah's focus been as he's, in the first two chapters, what is he focusing on? The destruction of Jerusalem, the city, the, the collective people. He's focused on Jerusalem, the daughter of, of, of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, the nation, the people of God collectively. And he's talked about God's wrath, God's judgment upon the people as a whole. But here in chapter 3, verse 1, now he gets personal. I am the man. I am the man. And so now he focuses on his own self, and uh, I am the man that has seen affliction. So he moves from the collected people of God and now talks about his personal, individual suffering. And we've talked about how uh, chapters 1 and 2 are poems. Chapter 1, a poem. Chapter 2, a poem. And each of those poems have 22 verses, and those 22 verses are an acrostic. They... Uh, they, uh, verse 1 begins with Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verse 2 starts with Baith. Verse 3 starts with Gimel. Verse 4 starts with Daleth. And all the way down to verse 22 that starts with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Tau. And uh, that, that's true for chapter 1. It's true for chapter 2. 22 verses, 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse starting with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But how many verses are in chapter 3? 66, which is 22 times 3. So chapter 3 is also a poem, and it is also an acrostic, but instead of each verse starting with the, the, the next letter of the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet, this is 22 triplets. And so the first three verses start with A, Aleph, the next three with Baith, the next three with Gimel, all the way down to Tau. So there are 66 verses because three verses starting with those 22 letters. And so you just, it, this just amazes me, you know, what Jeremiah is experiencing, what Jeremiah is going through, the pain, the devastation, the destruction. People are starving to death around him. The city is destroyed. There is no electricity, there is no typewriter, there is no word processor, there is no Google that he can look up all these words, and yet this is a, a literary masterpiece. Think of how difficult it is to write a poem uh, in that way, using those letters, those subsequent letters of the, uh, the Hebrew alphabet, and so this is a, a, a work of literary art, an amazing poem that takes a great deal of thought and, uh, uh, you know, to, to come up with those different words and put them in a way that it makes sense, you know. I, I have a hard enough time as a preacher when I try to alliterate the three points of my sermon, coming up with three words that start with C. <laughs> but uh, imagine trying to come up with 66 verses, A-A-A, B-B-B, C-C-C. But that's what Jeremiah has done. And so this is just a literary work of art, a masterpiece, um, and, uh, uh, and it is also the Word of God. Uh, Jeremiah writes words that God gave him. He writes under the inspiration of God. We believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
God inspired Jeremiah. He inspired the human author to write the very words that he wanted him to write. And so every word of scripture, so every word of lamentations is a word that God himself breathed out. Uh, words that God claims as his own. But God also, in our doctrine of inspiration, we believe that God also uses the personality, he uses the training, the background of the human author to bring forth his word to us. So he uses the, the personality, the education, the experience of those human authors. And uh, that's why in, in the Gospels, you know, we can see four Gospel writers describe the same events and it's all the word of God but there's different perspectives and different details and different emphasis emphases you know Luke the doctor focuses on some physical aspects of Jesus prayer in Gethsemane where uh, Matthew focuses on a, on a, a different aspect you know so the, the the skill the training the background of the human author God uses that in bringing his word to us and so we see Jeremiah's education. Jeremiah is uh, a, a passionate communicator. He is a deep and profound thinker and God used all of that to bring his word to us through the pen of Jeremiah. And so it's a literary work of art, a literary masterpiece. It is also God's words to us through Jeremiah. And because it's God's word, it is profitable for us Profitable to tell us what we ought to believe. Profitable to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness so that we might be uh, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And uh, uh, the work of finding hope when it seems like God has become our enemy. And, uh, um, and so here, Jeremiah gets personal. I am a man that has seen affliction and just like he has done in the previous two chapters he makes it clear that this affliction has come upon him by the hand of God or even the rod of God I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath he has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day he makes it very clear that the affliction that has come upon him has come uh, from the hand of the Lord or even the rod of the Lord. Just as he has made it clear that the devastation, the destruction, the disaster that has come upon the city has been done by the Lord, the affliction that has come upon him personally has also come from the hand of God. And it seems to him like God has become his enemy and he uses several powerful metaphors to make this point. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. And so uh, the first metaphor that, that Jeremiah uses is God is treating him. God is like a shepherd, but he is not treating him like a sheep. What is he treating him like? A wolf, an enemy. And so God is a shepherd, and uh, you know one of the great uh, uh, passages, one of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture is Psalm 23, where David says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." And verses one through three in, in Lamentations chapter three show us the opposite: the Lord is not treating Jeremiah as one of his sheep, but as a wolf, as an enemy. 
The shepherd is armed with a rod and a staff. And even David says in, in Psalm 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But now the rod is not bringing comfort, but it is bringing affliction. It is bringing wrath. Uh, you know, the staff has a crook on the end of it. And the staff is used by the shepherd to reach, a, reach out for a wandering sheep, put the crook around his neck and drag him back to yourself. The staff is used for guidance. The staff is used for training. The staff is used for discipline to, uh, uh, to, to gather the, the wayward sheep and pull him close. But the rod, the rod has no crook. The rod has a big uh, club on the end of it. The rod is hard and it is used to drive away wolves, to drive away thieves, to drive away predators, to drive away the enemy. And so instead of leading him by the still waters and making him lie down in green pastures, the Lord has uh, brought affliction by the rod of his wrath and made him walk in darkness, not in light, verse 2. Hasn't led him by the still waters or by the green pastures, but instead made him light, right, uh, walk in darkness and has turned his hand against him time and time throughout the day swatting him away like an enemy. And so uh, we see the image of a, of a shepherd treating him not as a sheep but as a wolf. And then we also see divine judgment. He has aged my flesh and my skin. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He is a divine judge bringing aging and decay and death. Not only that, the image is he is like a warden, like a prison guard. He has hedged me in so I can't get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone and made my paths crooked. He's treating him as a warden, a prison guard. Uh, he's treating him, uh, he, he, he relates to him like a wild animal. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me into pieces. And so he uses the metaphor of a wild beast, a wild animal devouring his flesh. Uh, God has also treated him as, a, as a, a hunter would treat him. He has bent his bow, set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. Um, and so like a hunter, God is hunting him and shooting his arrows to pierce his loins. I become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness and has made me drink wormwood. Uh, uh, we see the image of an oppressor. Uh, he has broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And so you see these images. A shepherd treating him as a wolf, driving him away. A divine judge bringing decay and aging, and ultimately death. 
a prison warden, putting him in heavy chains and behind big walls and blocking his path of escape, a wild animal tearing him to pieces, or a hunter piercing his loins with his arrow, an oppressor grinding his face in the, in, uh, on the driveway, uh, breaking his teeth with gravel and covering, covering him with ashes. God seems like the enemy, and everything seems hopeless, verse 18. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. It seems like there is nothing that he can do. God has treated him as his enemy, and he uses these powerful metaphors to show uh, that he is a man who has seen affliction. And that affliction has come to him from the hand of God, from the hand of the Lord. And it seems like there is nothing that he can do. But when it seems like God is the enemy, there is something that you can do. And Jeremiah tells us when God seems like the enemy, we need to Focus on his faithfulness. Lift your eyes above your circumstances and focus on God's great faithfulness. Um, So far in this poem, Jeremiah has only remembered his affliction. He has only remembered wormwood and gall. And wormwood is a a plant that uh, is very bitter, a plant with a bitter taste, and gall is a plant that has a bitter taste, but not only does it have bitter taste, but it is poisonous. And so he has only remembered the wormwood and the gall. Verse 19, remember my affliction and roaming the wormwood and the gall, but then by God's grace, he begins to remember something that he had forgotten something he had forgotten to remember. He is focused on his circumstances, and his circumstances are so powerful, so overwhelming, they have forced him into forgetfulness and despair. His strength and his hope have perished from the Lord. But ultimately, he comes to the point where he intentionally calls to mind truths that he had forgotten to remember. Uh, my soul still remembers and sinks within me as he focuses on his affliction. But then verse 21, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. And so he realizes there is something that he has forgotten to remember. And he calls to mind and writes uh, what what could be some of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament. And maybe they're so beautiful because they are shining lights placed on the background of darkness and despair. You know, if a a diamond salesman wants you to see the beauty of diamonds, he places it against the black cloth. And it's almost like these words, this light shining in the darkness is all the more beautiful because of the backdrop of, of darkness and blackness. And so he writes in verse 21, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And you know, when you think about, when you think about a day, as a day progresses, when you, how do you think about the progression of a day? It begins with the, the morning and goes through the, the day and ends with the evening and the nighttime. You know, so when we think of the progression of a day, we think of morning first, and then we think of the evening being the end of the day. But when you look at the scripture, when you look at the Bible, the Bible, the biblical perspective is different. Um, you know, we think of the day as morning than evening. We think that darkness uh, comes after the light. We think of the day beginning with light and ending in darkness. But the biblical perspective is, and that's even in, in Jeremiah in chapter 3, verse 16, he has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. And we see our lives as being lived in the light and ending in the darkness. But the biblical perspective is the opposite. Um, even back to creation. We read that the earth was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And so first there was darkness. And then God said... Let there be light, and there was light. And so darkness came first, and then came the light. And that's true all through uh, the creation account. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So we think of day as beginning with the morning and ending in the evening, but we read the evening and the morning was the first day. What came first? The darkness came first, and the light followed the darkness. And that's uh, throughout, uh, throughout the creation account. The evening and the morning were the second day, Genesis 1-8. The evening and the morning were the third day, Genesis 1-13. The evening and the morning were the fourth day, Genesis 1.19. The evening and the morning were the fifth day, Genesis 1.23. The evening and the morning were the sixth day, Genesis 1.31. And so uh, here Jeremiah says he is in the darkness, but the Lord's, because of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Light comes after the darkness. Light follows darkness every time and every day. We come through the darkness, and then what? God's faithfulness, God's grace is new every morning. The light comes after the darkness every single time. And so from the biblical perspective, darkness comes before light. And Jeremiah starts out overwhelmed by the darkness. He wakes in the darkness and before the sun rises he thinks that that's the end. That the darkness is his reality. That darkness is the final word. But then he calls to mind God's order. There's darkness, but God's 
compassions and God's mercies are new every morning. That light comes after the darkness every single time. Darkness, then light, always. And so when it seems like God is the enemy, lift your focus above your circumstances and focus on his faithfulness. When you're overwhelmed by the darkness, know that light comes after darkness always, every time. And so, uh, so he focuses on, through the Lord's mercies, we're not concerned. His, his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. And so Jeremiah gives us four truths to focus on when we are in the darkness and to help us have hope. He tells us to recall to mind, to intentionally remember what we might have forgotten because we're in the darkness and because of our circumstances. Four truths that we must remember. Number one, God's mercy never ends. God's mercy never ends. Verse 22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now up to this point in this poem, in chapter 3, Jeremiah has referred to God in an impersonal way, using third-person pronouns. He, his, using the third-person personal pronoun, the third-person masculine pronoun, God's pronouns are he, his, and he's referred to him in that impersonal way. He uh, has led me, and made me walk in darkness. He has turned his hand against me. He has aged my flesh. He has besieged me. He has set me in dark places. He has hedged me in. He has been to me like a bear. He's turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He's bent his bow. He's caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. He's broken my teeth with gravel. And so he is referring to God with the third person masculine pronouns, talking about God in an impersonal way, what do you notice in verse 22? When he remembers the light, what does he say in verse 22? How does he refer to God? The Lord. He uses that covenant name of God, verse 22, through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. And so when he lifts his eyes above his circumstances, he's not referring to God in an impersonal third person way, but he's referring to God using his covenant name. The covenant name of God, the Lord. And also, he uses the second person personal pronoun in verse 23. Great is your faithfulness. He's not just talking about God, he, him. He is talking to the Lord using his covenant name. 
and speaking to him personally. So he's not just talking about God when he finds hope, but he is talking to God. And he is using his covenant name, a name that speaks of his covenant faithfulness and his love and his care and his mercy and his compassion for his, for his people. And he uses a very important word, the word that is translated mercies uh, in verse 22 is a name that a word that comes from the covenant love the covenant love for his people his covenant faithfulness a love that comes from his nature and his character the lord yahweh is a loving covenant keeping merciful and compassionate god and the ultimate hope for his people comes from his faithfulness his power to keep his promises his love that motivates him to keep his promises, and his faithfulness that demands that all he has promised he will do. And that is a source of great hope to Jeremiah. The light has come after the darkness, and he focuses on God's mercy. God's mercy never fails. Uh, they are new every morning, every day. There is a renewal of God's faithfulness. Every day there is a flesh, fresh supply of God's faithfulness and covenant love. And that is enough. Through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. There's a fresh supply of mercy and compassion every morning. God's faithfulness is great. And then in verse 24 he says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my great reward. And when I do not have anything else, I still have the Lord, Jeremiah says, and that is enough. When he has stripped me of everything else, when he has stripped me of everything, I still have his mercies, his compassions, and his faithfulness, and that is enough. That is my portion, my inheritance, my reward. That is enough, and it is a reason for my hope. When God strips you of everything else, but you still have him, you have enough. You have everything that you really need when you have the Lord, and you have his mercies, and his compassions, and his great faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And so when you're in the darkness, four truths we need to call to mind. God's mercies never fail. And number two, waiting is not a waste. Waiting is not a waste. We are called to wait. Waiting is not a delay in God's plan, but waiting is a part of the plan uh, waiting is not a waste waiting is profitable and waiting is good uh, uh, verse 25 the Lord is good to those who wait for him the soul who seeks him it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord it is good for a man to bear the, the yoke in his youth and so you see three things that are good and this is interesting, you can't see this in English, but I, you remember we we're talking about triplets, 
that start with letters of the Hebrew alphabet, well, the Hebrew word good starts with the letter teth. And so all three of these verses, in the English you don't see this, but in the Hebrew, the first word of those three verses is good. The literal translation is this. Good is the Lord to those who wait for him. Good it is that one should wait quietly for the Lord. Good it is for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. And so this is the ninth letter of the alphabet, Tath, that the, uh, the, the Hebrew word good. And so these three verses all begin with the word good, bringing the emphasis and the accent on goodness, that which is good. And so we see three things that are good. It is good to wait for the Lord. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And it is good for a man to bear that yoke in his youth. Jeremiah wants us to know that something is good. It is good to wait. Waiting shows our trust, our hope, our confidence in the Lord. And we believe that he can, and not only that he can, but that he will deliver us. And so when we wait, we are showing our confidence, our trust in God and our trust in his deliverance. And, uh, you know, uh, we do not like to wait. Waiting is hard. Waiting can cause anxiety. Waiting can cause stress. Waiting can cause fear. We're not sure what's going to happen at the end of the wait. We're afraid of what is coming. We feel out of control. We feel powerless. You're standing in line and you uh, have no control over uh, the person at the head of the line and the person that's serving all the people in the line. You know you got to be at church at 630, but you're in the line and there's no control. You have no way. You can't get out of that line. You can't get to the front of that line until it's your turn and you feel hopeless and out of control, and it's causing stress and anxiety. Uh, uh, but, but Jeremiah tells us that waiting is good. It is good that we wait. And waiting is not a waste. It's not a delay in God's plan. It is part of the plan because we learn to wait. And when we learn to wait, that is going to serve us well in days that are to come but when we're waiting we feel like we aren't doing anything and really the the truth is we're not but God is <laughs> God is at work and so when we're waiting we're not doing anything but we're trusting that God is uh, God is working and uh, and waiting is good uh, because waiting reminds us that we are not God <laughs> we are not in control we are dependent, and God is sovereign, and he is working according to his plan in his perfect timing. And so waiting is good. It's not a postponement of the plan. It's part of the plan. And uh, Jeremiah also tells us, well, when should we learn how to wait? When we're young. So it's too late for all of us. <laughs> uh, too late for us to, to learn while we're young, but we can start today. And if you learn to wait while you're young, 
then you're going to have benefit from that having learned that in years to come. And so, uh, and so it's good to learn how to wait. The sooner that you learn how to wait, the longer you can profit from that lesson. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and recognize that waiting's not a waste, but it is part of the plan and it's part of my growth and I can learn to wait. And when I learn to wait, it will uh, make the weight, the weight of waiting lighter in years to come. It will lessen the weight of the yoke of waiting if I learn to bear that yoke in my youth, he tells me. So good, three things are good. It's good to wait for the Lord. It's good to hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And it's good that we learn how to do that while we're young. And so in the darkness, remember that God's mercy never ends. That waiting is not a waste, but it's profitable. It's part of the plan. And then number three, darkness is not the end. Darkness is not the end. Suffering is not the last word. Um, he goes on, he says, Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, Yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. And so suffering is not the last word. Darkness is not the end. Because the light comes after the darkness every single time. Darkness comes before light. And when we're in the darkness, when we're in the middle of suffering, it seems like it will never end. And we might quote the, the Bible verse that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. We quote it, but we can't see it. We can't see how this circumstance can possibly work for good. We've been treated like an enemy. We've been driven off. We've been put in the darkness. Our flesh and, uh, and skin has aged. Our bones have been broken. We're in physical pain. We're in spiritual darkness. We're hemmed in. We can't escape. Our loins have been pierced. Our teeth have been broken with gravel. We cannot see how any of this could possibly work for good. But that promise, along with many others in the Bible, that promise, God's purposes, God's promises, God's character, are all given to assure us that suffering and darkness do not have the final word, the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, verse 32, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Suffering, darkness are not the last words. Suffering has its limits. Suffering has a purpose. And suffering is a part of his loving plan and loving purpose. Number four, the fourth truth that we focus on in the darkness is that God is always good, even in the darkness. His mercies never end. Waiting is not a waste. 
Suffering is not the last word. Darkness is not the end. And God is always good, even in the darkness. And the darkness that comes to God's people, even the destruction of Jerusalem, doesn't come from a heart that delights in causing suffering. What he says in verse 33, he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. And so he does not take pleasure in punishment. He does not take pleasure in bringing affliction. You know, like a, a good dad, this hurts me worse than it hurts you. <laughs> it does not come from a heart that delights in causing pain. That there is a loving purpose. And so every tear that God's people share, there is a loving purpose behind that tear. We just can't see it yet. And we just have to believe, even in the darkness, that His purposes are good. And even the suffering comes from His loving kindness. He is accomplishing a good and great purpose in us and through the suffering that he knows he could not accomplish in any other way. It is a good purpose that must be accomplished and there's no other way to accomplish this purpose. And so God brings that not from a heart that delights in causing suffering but in a heart that is always good and always working good and always accomplishing what he can accomplish what in the best possible way. And so if he brings suffering, that's because that's the only way to accomplish the purpose that must be, must be realized, must be accomplished. And so uh, God is always good, even in the darkness. He does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. So when it seems like God is our enemy, we need to focus on these four truths. God's mercy never ends. Waiting is not a waste. Suffering is not the last word. And God is always good. He is good all the time. And so when we're surrounded by darkness, confusion, doubt, when our circumstances have just overwhelmed us and we can't see anything but the pain, there's physical pain, there's, there's emotional pain, there is... Uh, uh, enemies that are re reproaching and, and uh, mocking and laughing. There's all these things going on. We need to recall to mind what we know to be true. That it's through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is enough. Waiting is not a waste, and God is working his purpose. Suffering's not the end, and God is good all the time. And the perfect proof, and actually the ultimate reason, that light always comes after the darkness is put on vivid display in the Gospels. We saw it in creation the world was dark. God said, let there be light. There was light in the evening and the morning were the first day. But we see it put on more vivid display in the Gospels. 
When we read now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had become the enemy. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And when evening had come, Joseph of Arimathea had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. When evening had come, darkness fell in the day, darkness came in the evening, it was darkness. But then in John 20, verse 1, we read, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And there was an angel of the Lord. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Light falls to darkness every single time. Darkness is not the end. Light follows the darkness. God is working his plan. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. And because Jesus has turned away the wrath of God, endured the darkness for us, and given us the light of life. There was evening, then there was morning. A new day, new life. And so when you're in the darkness, when it feels like God has become the enemy, when it feels like his hand is heavy against you, lift your eyes among, above your circumstances and remember what you know to be true. God's mercies never end. Waiting is not a waste. Darkness is not the last word. And God is good all the time. He is working his plan and his purpose. And light comes after darkness every single time. All right, any questions about the first half of Lamentations 3? Amen. Amen. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Right, let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your goodness and for your faithfulness. And Lord, we confess so often when we find ourselves in darkness that we are tempted to lose hope we are tempted to despair tempted to focus on our circumstances and the pain and the distress and the agony the powerlessness and lord we pray that you grant us grace to lift our eyes and to believe that light follows darkness Every single time, suffering is not the end, 
because your mercies are great. Your compassions do not fail. New every morning. And Lord, we're thankful that Jesus endured the darkness, the darkness of death, the darkness of the grave, so that we might come to him in repentance and faith and have the light of life and to have hope and to know that when we close our eyes in darkness, we close our eyes in death, we will open them and see the great light of your presence. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.